I'm sitting here in my own house, minding my own Hi guys, this is High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies from an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, and today I'm joined by the wonderful, the hilarious Michael Lucid. Hello. Uh, people might know Michael as the intrepid red carpet reporter, Damiana. Yes. From, wait, do you work at, is it World of Wonder or Logo or? World of Wonder. World of Wonder. Okay, cool. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Over there. Uh, a beautiful old office on Hollywood Boulevard. And, yes. Yeah. Is it like, are you intimidated by talking to celebrities and like drag queens and stuff? Or because you're in character, it's like you're just whatever. That's exactly it. It's the character. It's being in in drag in my in my yeah. costume that sort of gives me this confidence that uh, enables me to sidle up to Cloris Leachman and blab on about something. Yeah, because yeah. I think you might be the first guest I've had on that's like that does drag or you, you can. It's drag, like what you're doing. Yeah, it's 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 this weird thing though because it's sort of it's it's a uh, um, it's 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 I. I Somewhat low commitment drag. But it's still drag. But it's still, thank yeah. you. Thank you. There's there's makeup involved. Exactly. There's a wig. There's some kind of festive blouse or blazer. And yeah, there might be men's dockers and sneakers <laughs> that might also be involved. But when did you, did you start doing it at World of Wonder or you did that character before you worked with them? Yeah, I um I, I had created that character before, but she didn't have a name until okay. I work, worked for them. She was just kind of this lady reporter I would sometimes do in my own sketches. And I was doing this whole public access show called Pretty Things that I would, back in the days of three-quarter inch videotape and, and, and VHS, I would mail these tapes across the country to different um, public access stations. Wow. Yeah. And it was all drag uh, sketches, uh, video sketches I would make in the early aughts. That's so cool. And then, and yeah, so you've been doing this character for a long time now. Yeah. I would say Damiana, she sort of was birthed in probably like 2005. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, uh, it's so yeah, it's so fun watching you uh, interview those people, and I don't know, it's like something I've, I've never done. I've never really done drag, and I've never definitely done like interviews, which always scares me. But it it is like I don't know. It's a fun. It just I love watching them, and it's just fun to see someone who's in character because the whole process is like inherently ridiculous. Yeah. Like sticking a microphone in someone's face, and it's just like fun to see someone do it, and and you know that the whole process is like, is sort of, is ridiculous. Totally. Yeah, it is. There's something inherently absurd. And these red carpet interviews, just the ones you see on, on, you know, entertainment tonight or whatever are always so cringy and like yeah. weird and awkward. And, and I think, I think what also helps me is I just see them almost as comedy bits. Cause it's like, this is so yeah. Inherently yeah. absurd that, Let's, and yeah. you see like uh, Juliana Rancic or Ryan Seacrest and they, they take themselves so seriously and you can yeah. see like, like most of these actors, you know, the actors obviously take themselves very seriously too, but you can see like such contempt in their eyes for like the entertainment reporters. Yes. And it's, it's just fun to see you guys like blow that whole thing out and like make, make fun of the whole process. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's funny because I think initially when I first created the character, she was a little more in the very, very first video, it was a little more antagonistic and kind of busting people's chops. Okay. And I quickly realized that, yeah, the, the hostility in their eyes is a real thing. And, 
I think that made me so intrinsically uncomfortable that I made this choice that, you know what, I'm going to be their friend. We're uh-huh. going gonna to have fun and we're both going to have fun. And so I sort of ended up turning it into more like comedy chat. And like where I'm often not even in search of real information. I were just sure. sort of bantering. And did you notice a difference when you when you made that switch that like the celebrities or the people that you interviewed were friendlier or like realized that you were doing a bit so they could sort of let their guard down a little bit? Completely. It was definitely like night and day. It was yeah. like they saw that I was just there to play. And so then they were more willing to play too. And the just the the fun level went way up and we could just kind of riff a little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. yeah. Uh, but I, I do love watching, like I'll, I'll turn on the E, you know, red carpet coverage oh, yeah. before the Oscars just to see, like, it's like a cringe factor yes. sort of because everyone is so uncomfortable and the questions are like so stupid most of the time. Oh yeah. And you can just see like everyone has to go through the motions of like doing this press. Uh, but it's still fun to watch. I don't know. Totally. And you know, I think also, Joan Rivers was such a reference point for me because mm. she, well, she also did actually bust people's chops sometimes. Or, or oh, but, for but sure, yeah, totally. But I feel like she more so, maybe in her best self, was having fun with people and sort of bantering more. And you know, they're talking about their outfits and yeah. you know, what are you wearing and that kind of thing. But maybe there was a little more. Yeah, fun. she would go because she would, and I think you know, great comedians can cross a line. Like that's part of the thing that you have to do as a comedian. Yeah, but she. Definitely there were moments where she might have gone too far into like meanness. And then I think people knowing that she was going to interview them would would sort of shut down because yeah. they were afraid that she was going to be too mean, uh, which is a shame because, you yeah, it's a weird balancing act. You don't want to be like completely anodyne and like not say anything interesting. But then also you want to create um, a, an atmosphere so that people will be comfortable and will be able to like be themselves. Exactly. It's so true. And it is, and you know, cause a lot of the my, kind of Damiana's beat has become the drag race red carpet. And that's been an interesting place to sort of workshop different levels uh, to the uh-huh. interview. Cause with some of the Queens, which is right off the bat, we just are hitting it off and having a good old time. Uh, at, you know, at these drag race at like at the finale red carpets, but then once in a while I would sprinkle in, I was like, I'm going to be a little, a little saucy this time when this when this gal comes up the way and it would it could go either way and it was interesting yeah. like sometimes they would you could tell they were kind of thrown for a loop they're like what what are you asking me and then sometimes they were game to push back a little well and you'd think like if they they see you in drag like they would know that you're having fun and you would you would think but but i guess some yeah. i mean it's it's true we've all watched drag race for a long time some of these queens like can dish it but they can't take it yes uh, and i imagine i mean like as we know like growing up queer you're you're uh you're on guard a lot just sort yeah. of because people can be very mean yes. um and so i think there's like a defensiveness that you have to uh temper when when you're in an atmosphere that hopefully is like more friendly and yeah, some queens I think are better than that than others. That's so true, and yeah, and 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 it's so true to to uh, uh, to be fair. Yeah, I mean they, I guess they have because they don't know what kind of curveball might get thrown if they ask like a funny question that you know they have to be a little on their guard. To yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Uh, but now they must all know you. Like they must know that you're coming uh, if they're doing press for Drag Race because they've probably seen you before. Or they've at least seen like clips of you. I will say it's it's. I, I would say a lot of them do know my character, and it, it's such it's a delight for me when that happens. I you know I, my 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 blonde bob yeah. levitates a little higher, and it's it's a, it's a 
real real pleasure for me. Once sometimes they do not, and uh. that's fine. We'll we'll will uh, get acquainted in real time. But they see like the the microphone that says World of Wonder on it. Yes. So they know you're not like a, just a crazy person off the street. That helps yeah. a lot. That's sort of like, yeah, I sort of try to waggle. I, yeah. I have that in mind actually. I'm like, oh, you see, yeah, I'm, I'm legit. There's yeah. no label. And, and the funny thing is that now a lot of times on the carpet, they'll just, instead of having me on the press line, they have me sort of hover at the end of, so I'm kind of this crazy roving lady sort of, they can't get past me because I'm blocking their way, but I'm also like not. So it's this very odd scenario. I'm sort of a free agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Uh, are they are they shooting? Is, they're shooting All Stars now, or you're not allowed to say anything? You know, well, uh, and well, luckily, well, it helps me not. It protects me from divulging anything because now I'm. I for five years I was their staff member. Now oh. I just do the carpet. Okay. At, so yeah, so, so it keeps me out of the loop. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have the hot tea to spill, but also then I can't get in trouble. For so. sure. Yeah. 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 Well, they'll be in All Stars soon, I think. At I some think point. so. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think we can imagine. They, they, the, the seasons have been coming quicker and quicker, like off the foot of the last one. Now I think there's pretty much always something shooting. It, it seems, seems like, like yeah, that. like the cycle is yes. yeah, yeah. Sped up. Um. So speaking of red carpet stuff, do you? Uh, do you pay attention to like award season in general, Oscars and all that stuff? Are you an Oscars person? You know what? I, um, I do pay attention, but I don't love watching award shows. You don't? Okay. I don't. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. I watch the highlights. Mm. I wait till the morning. I'm like, just give me the, but, but there's been years. Like I had a few live tweet years yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was there and I was tweeting. Yeah. When Twitter was young and you yes. thought, oh, the possibilities are endless. You'd yes. love it. But now, I mean, I, I like adore award shows oh, like yeah. it's the highlight of my like television years watching these things and i realize they're so fucking long and they're so boring but i love every minute of them oh, that's but yeah great. i don't i mean i don't tweet very much in general but like i just love to s- sort of focus and just like watch it now it's more fun just be present for yeah, as, yeah, yeah. It, as it unfolds that's true because the other way it's like hey what's my, my joke what's exactly. my next joke? and everyone's doing the same jokes and also these uh, tweets are like so of the moment so like if someone reads it you know two hours afterwards they're having they're gonna have no idea what you're talking about that's i'm sure my new news feed from like 2011 yeah. is a bunch of yeah non sequiturs now <laughs> totally about, totally yeah uh, what have you been, have you been watching any good movies or TV lately? Well, I, I don't know if I can, well, it's good that the focus here is camp because I don't know yeah, if I yeah, can yeah. call this a good show. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, nice. Well, you know what? I, a friend of mine got me into Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, I could talk about oh. that for hours. Oh, I'll okay. be right there with you now. I'm just caught up with season nine, the okay. latest season and the saga. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I. So you, cause I think most like. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fans would agree that the last few seasons have not been the best. Okay, okay. Uh, but you, you're you like into it up until this, like even the Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy garbage. You're- yes! Okay, well, I'm so glad you brought up Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy because that's what I know. That okay, is yeah. my point but of reference. But you, you have seen it since from the beginning, right? I've or- seen smatterings. Okay. Because what happened was, yeah, I just kind of, I've dropped in over the years, so I kind of knew who all the, and in fact, Damiana's interviewed Lisa Vanderpump. Oh my God. And I accidentally called Kyle uh, Kim. No shit. That was really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, she must have loved that. I, I'm sure she adored it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and in fact, yeah, I think Lisa had Giggy in her uh-huh. arm when I, but um, yeah, I, so I knew who all the girls were and I sort of watched a little bit, but this, my, my friend was constantly texting me like you gotta be watching i mean she's addicted yeah, yeah. to so, I, I, I watch all of them i'm i'm completely oh, nice. addicted to to real housewives yeah amazing yeah and and so yeah and i yeah i i i paid visits to the new york girls and i mean i i think new york new york is 
the clear best franchise. Mm. It, I don't think there's been an off season. The women know how to make reality television. There's no dead weight. Uh, there's always conflicts, but you can tell they're really friends with each other, which yeah. creates a great atmosphere. Beverly Hills, I think because uh, a lot of them are like former actors now, they're so aware of everything. Uh, they don't yeah. really let down their guard in a way. And so Sometimes the drama can seem a little staged, but if if you like Beverly Hills, I would highly suggest you go back and watch from the beginning mm. straight through. I think I think it's all on Amazon Prime now because mm. what's interesting about Beverly Hills, the first few seasons are maybe the darkest seasons of any Real Housewives franchise ever. Wow, um, they're so raw. I mean, with Kim Richards's addiction issues and Taylor uh, Armstrong and her husband, that whole saga. Yeah, uh, but. As it went on, I think they just put their guards up in a way that now you never know if any of this is real. And I, and I think because Lisa Vanderpump is now gone, I hopefully that will allow the new season to get back to uh, to that rawness. I, I mean, I'm not wishing yeah. for anyone's like tragedy or anything, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but it is like good television. Oh, it is. And well, you yeah. know, it's so funny about them being actresses because I will say, now, now I'll preface this by saying, love Rena. Okay, yeah. Love her, love her. What a ham. Yeah. What a ham. What a camp fest. She milks it to the night. And I think she's just looking for drama. Oh, yeah. She's like sniffing it out. Oh, she's, yeah. She has a like a producer brain. Oh, so yeah, she yeah, yeah, yeah. is trying to shape the narrative, which I appreciate. One cast member on each franchise should always have that sort of producer brain. And yes. I think the problem is like she and Lisa Vanderpump. And Kyle, to some extent, uh, all sort of were. It was like it was like three power centers that weren't meshing well. Uh, um, but yeah, you want I don't know. You want some messier people back on Beverly Hills. You want Kim to come back, or I do. I yeah, want Brandy to come back. Yes. Uh, I wish that Lisa. She'll never talk about it, but I wish she would actually talk about her and her daughter's like joint eating disorders, which oh, they obviously right. have, and they they like skirt around it so much. Yeah. Uh, and I do love the addition of Denise Richards. I think she was wonderful. Yes. Yeah. No, I loved Denise. I loved, I was just kind of fascinated by Denise. Just yeah. the, her expressions and the way she was so poised and so demure. But then sometimes it would just be like, cut the shit, Camille. Yeah. Like, well, there's like, a, there's like a confidence about Denise. Uh, um, yeah. She's not, she has everything she wants in life. She doesn't yes. need this seemingly as much as some of the other women. So there's like a chillness to her, yes. which I really, really appreciate. But yeah, she can, she can get into it too, which is great. Yes. She'll go there. Yeah. yeah. Which is fun. Uh, wow. Well, this is not a housewives <laughs> podcast, even though maybe I should turn it into one. Uh, I did. Have you seen hustlers yet? No, I heard it's great. Okay, yeah. So hustlers, I'm like, like I said, I'm a big Oscars person. Hustlers is not your typical Oscars movie, but, uh, it's an amazing amazing fun movie and Jennifer Lopez is so good in it mm. and this is coming out in a few weeks so we probably will know more by the time this comes out but I do think she is definitely going to get nominated for mm. best supporting actress uh doing a role that is not your typical Oscar fair wow. uh and it's funny because I like I watched that movie and then I watched The Goldfinch which also came out this weekend oh, right, yeah. which is such like the traditional like Oscar type mm, movie mm. which completely bombed oh right and yeah. I still like like I liked the book so I enjoyed watching it I realize it's not like a great movie but it's interesting now what is and is not an Oscar movie has changed so much in the past yeah. few years like the fact that Hustlers a, you know, a movie, a big commercial movie distributed by STX, which is about strippers, which is getting all this like awards buzz. And then this sort of 
prestige you know, based on a Pulitzer Prize winning novel with, you know, Nicole Kidman and stuff is just like, ooh, totally tanking. dead. So, and I guess that made me think of Straight Jacket in a weird way. That's the movie we're going to talk about with Joan Crawford. And like, if Straight Jacket was made now, I feel like Joan Crawford would be getting some Oscar buzz for it. Yeah, it's such a, a movie of today in that just the unhinged quality yeah, of performance. Yeah, it's like a fun, crazy movie that I think yeah. back then was considered so like déclassé. Yeah, and you could tell everyone was a little bit embarrassed to be in it. Yeah. But now I feel like those type of movies are more celebrated. So true. Yeah, I think as a culture, we, for better or worse, we, we, things are loosened up a little now. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's so. Yeah, yeah. I think mostly for. I mean, I I do love like the you know period piece, uh, um, Howard's End or whatever is great. Yeah. But the type of movie that is getting consideration for Oscars is like like broadening now. Yeah. And it's yeah. It it just made me feel I guess sad watching Joan Crawford, not because the movie, I thought was fantastic straight yes. jacket and her performance yeah. is fantastic but just like the meta textual like knowing that she thinks her career is like on a downtrend and then this is like a william castle sort of b movie low budget and you can just tell that she is like a little bit embarrassed to be in it maybe i'm like projecting i don't know yeah. but just know knowing about joan crawford's personality i'm just like oh i feel sad for her that she like could never have actually been proud of this work yeah well you know it's funny because I had that same thought watching it like that she's kind of slumming it in this one and that it is kind of you know in the narrative of mommy dearest and, and uh, what you know and that was certainly my understanding of Joan Crawford's life was through mommy dearest I think mommy dearest, yeah most yeah. people in our generation probably like the first um cultural like text we knew from Joan Crawford was was mommy dearest rather than any of her movies yeah totally and there's kind of a blur between Faye Dunaway's performance of her and her like they kind of they merged in my mind I yeah. think it's hard to but you know it's funny and this is just from my Wikipedia readings <laughs> in preparation for uh today is that um apparently Joan she she might have been very embarrassed but she was apparently really took the reins and she made casting decisions like uh -huh. she had the the actress who's supposed to play her daughter in Straight Jacket fired and replaced by the actress who oh, played I heard her? That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they had they had like worked together before. Yes. And she liked her. Uh, yeah. Well, I imagine w William Castle. I guess had some sort of a reputation. He's like directed a million sort of B movies, but like when a big star like that gets on set, mm. they're probably going to be like in charge. Yeah. So maybe he, yeah, he sort of gives that, yeah, sort of gives them the floor to, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah maybe because I know Vincent Price did a lot of movies yeah. with him and maybe I wonder if it was the same. And yeah, um, well I wonder cause like Vincent Price, I think all, pretty much his whole career was in those type of movies. Mm. Whereas like Joan Crawford came from sort of prestige. She was like, you know, huge MGM star mm. and was an Oscar winner and all this stuff and was sort of quote unquote slumming it. So yeah, I wonder what like the power dy dynamic is, but then also she was towards the end of her career and didn't have the power that, that she had had, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. So it's an interesting space where, yeah, was, um, the one thing that also surprised me in my Wikipedia research <laughs> was that it was this, the, because watching straight jacket, it's like, Oh, this was my, my preliminary thought was, Oh, this is clearly a ripoff of psycho. That that was a success. And then found out that Robert block, yes, same, author. the same. Yeah. So, uh, and it, it's funny because I sort of thought I saw the name Robert Block at the beginning of the movie. It's like, oh, that's the guy who wrote Psycho. Oh, yeah. And then so I went into it thinking like, so what about Psycho became this, 
you know, touchstone, this like cinema classic that everyone talks about as like, you know, revolutionary for horror. And it's, you know, this, I, I wouldn't call it a prestige, but it's like Hitchcock. So it's like elevated. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then you have straight jacket, which is written by the same guy, like, you know, the same type of story. Yeah. Uh, and then this movie is relegated to like B movie trash. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, is it, you know, the difference in directing, like I, I'm, I'm not, uh, well-versed enough in like filmmaking to be like, Oh, Hitchcock does this where, whereas William Castle does that. Like to me, they're both super entertaining movies. Yeah. I don't I guess I don't really see the difference like prestige wise one or the other. And I'm, yeah. yeah, I wonder like what, what even is that? Like, is it Joan Crawford herself, uh, was sort of a star on the wane by 1964 that her presence made this less um, prestige than it would have been? I don't know. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny. I feel like that ambiguity, I wonder if maybe even at the time there was sort of this weird sort of uh, dance between is this, you know, high camp, low camp? Is this embarrassing? Is this a Hitchcockian psychological thriller? Or And I feel like probably all of, because you know, it was a Columbia release, so it wasn't even like a, uh, you know, bargain basement. No, no, no. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So it's this kind of weird, and you know, even William Castle with his reputation as being like a schlock filmmaker, I mean, he produced Rosemary's Baby and things like that. So it's like all of them were sort of doing this funny back and forth between, you know, uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's this high, low. It's, uh, it, it sort of reminds me of Blumhouse movies now. Yeah, you get, yeah. you get like a Jordan Peele doing, I mean, he wasn't known as a prestige director until Get Out, and now yeah. he is, like, you know, one of the premier directors of our generation. Yes. But, like, you get some of those Blumhouse movies that are considered art, and then some, like, Happy Death Day or whatever right. that I think are great, too. But, yeah. yeah, you never you never hear about them in the in the awards race. Right. And Happy Death Day is great. Oh, yeah, especially the sequel. Oh, that uh, is insane. Yeah, I, I love that. Happy Death yeah. Day to you is yes. even better than the first one, I think. Oh, that's cool. You know, I did like the first one more, but I had yeah. a blast watching the second one just because it was so yeah. off its rocker. The second one, like, leaned into the comedy of it. Yes. It was not really a horror movie so much as, like... Uh, sort of like a comedy sci-fi movie, which yeah, I yeah. and I don't, I don't know her name, but the lead actress in those movies I think is so good. Yeah, I she's really, like yeah. such comic timing. Love her, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about before we get into the plot of the movie. Let's talk a little bit about our relationship to Joan Crawford because yes. after this is the 14th episode of this podcast, and this is the first Joan Crawford episode I'm doing, so this is uh, exciting. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. we have we have a lot of Joan Crawford movies on the list. Um, and uh, yeah, so you said you you first sort of knew about Joan Crawford through Mommy Dearest. Yeah, and that was one of those, uh, and maybe related to this, you know, I remember, you know, it was on daytime cable, and as a kid, I would see it in the summer, okay. you know, I'm watching TV in the middle of the day, what's this, this like, depressing, psychologically op oppressive movie, and of course became obsessed with it as, you know, a, a pre-adolescent, and that was my introduction to... Interesting. Yeah. I guess I'd like, I'd heard about mommy dearest and like the wire hanger stuff. Yeah. And I knew like the reputation of Joan Crawford way before I'd seen that actual movie. I don't oh, yeah. think I saw mommy dearest till maybe like college. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I already sort of liked Joan Crawford by then. So I've uh, always, I've always had a sort of antagonistic relationship to mommy dearest. Cause oh, I yeah. feel like it's unfair to her and her legacy. Yes. Um, and I've never really been able to appreciate it as a movie or like appreciate Faye Dunaway's performance because I feel, I still feel a little protective over Joan Crawford and that yeah. like, it sucks that like, this is the thing that she is 
maybe most known for more than like any of her movies. Yeah. Um, did you read the book, the Christina Crawford? No, no I, I don't know. I haven't either. I, and it's, it's weird because you never know what goes on in mother daughter relationships. Right, right. So like, I don't want to say, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it just, it's weird and you don't, you know, there's two sides to every story. So I don't, and she's not around to tell her. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Which is not, yeah, yeah. That's the part that's not fair. And, you know, it's funny because um, now, of course, watching Joan Crawford in movies, I'm and I'm looking for clues mm-hmm. to, to support or refute Mommy Dearest. Like, was she crazy? Yeah. Was she not? Was What's she... interesting, like, so many of her movies are about mother-daughter relationships. Yes. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, this was something that um, attracted to her to, to certain roles, like, to, yeah. to play these mothers. And she was... I mean, you know, she adopted these kids, so she was like playing a mother in real life too. Yeah, uh, and you, ne- yeah, you never know with her what is like authentic or, or yeah, what is for um, the persona of Joan Crawford versus like what is actually her her inner life. Totally, totally, and and, and especially these daughter characters, like in Mildred Pierce, yeah. are always antagonizing the poor mother who's yeah. selfless and sacrificing everything for her uh, ungrateful daughter. And totally. then, so the irony of Mommy Dearest, I mean, just adds this bizarre layer to the whole story that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So, like, yeah, so Joan Crawford, and this is, since I saw Hustlers recently, too, I just can't help look at the parallels between Jennifer Lopez and Joan Crawford. Because, oh, like, yeah. they both started as dancers. Oh, yeah. Um, and they both sort of were big stars, maybe, before they were considered great actresses. Yeah, uh, they did a little bit of like you know Jennifer Lopez had a recording career and has all these endorsements and 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 Joan Crawford later in her life was like the Pepsi uh, woman which they had some great Pepsi uh, product placement in in Straight Jacket. Do you remember oh. that like six pack of Pepsi that they just had on the no, kitchen? No, I need really to look yeah. for that. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and yeah, but and I I just feel like they were never or now maybe Jennifer Lopez because of Hustlers is going to be again thought of first as an actress or at least appreciate her acting ability and Joan Crawford, I think, and this is again, like I've, I think I've read one biography of her and I've seen a lot of her movies. Uh, and then I do feel like the Ryan Murphy feud, uh, miniseries to me seems, I don't know if it's real or not, but in, in my head, I'm like, Oh, this seems more like the real Joan Crawford, Uh... the, the way that she was depicted by Jessica Lange in that, in that miniseries. Uh, the fact that she had always re- maybe resented other actresses for being uh, more thought of as as great thespians, where she was always considered first, you know, a sex symbol, and then and then like a camp icon, but never as a great actress. Right. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, she didn't come from a background of like formal training. No, no, not at all. She's from Texas, like super working class, like maybe worked as a sex worker at some point. They don't I mean, there's no like proof of this. Uh, And then, you know, came to Hollywood as a dancer and was in silent movies. Our Dancing Daughters was a big hit in the late 20s. And uh, she she was sort of the, the star of that. And then and then she was able to transition to talkies when a lot of the the young ingenues at the time weren't, uh, and and her career yeah lasted forever and had so many ups and downs through you know the 30s she she won her one Oscar uh, in 1945 for Mildred Pierce and had a few great roles around then and then you know and then sort of had like a little bit of a downward trajectory in the 50s she did uh, the the um, Nicholas Ray movie Johnny Guitar, which is now oh, thought of as yes. as a great sort of classic of the genre, but I think then was maybe thought of as like a B a B picture, and mm. then 
And then, of course, in 1962 was Uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yes. Which redefined her career and I think redefined what parts were available for older women. Uh, yeah. in general, like it, it changed, I think it changed everything. I mean, you could say this was good or this was bad because a lot of these roles were exploitative, but it gave permission for, for older women to act like fucking lunatics, Yes, which seemed like, especially for someone who started in like the classic Hollywood studio system and had to be perfect all the time. Yeah. It must've been so freeing for these women finally in you know, their fifties or sixties to be able to play like murderous bitches finally in, in like the most sort of crazy way. I don't know. Totally. Totally. And it's funny. In fact, I saw, uh, again, favorite source, Wikipedia, yeah. <laughs> um, that there's that, that genre is it came to be known was, it has been referred to as psycho bitty. Psycho bitty. Yeah. Um, hagsploitation yes. is another word or like a uh, grand dame guignol. guignol. Yeah. Guignol or yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. And we still have, and it, it, the, the tradition is alive and well today. The, even this year, we had Octavia Spencer and Ma. Yes. Uh, we had Isabelle Huppert and Greta. Oh, uh, yes. Which I need to see. Oh, I need to see that. I, I got to see great. it. Yeah, these are, I mean, for me, these are the two great camp movies of 2019 so oh, far. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we, and but now it's it's different because like, you you thought you know Joan Crawford or Betty Davis was like slumming it and and maybe their careers would never have recovered quote unquote from doing Baby Jane, but now I mean it's like Isabelle Huppert can do fucking Greta and then do whatever you know Michael Haneke movie or whatever like awards bait or just whatever like it doesn't matter no one's gonna be like oh Isabelle Huppert sucks because she was in like a shitty B movie right, people uh, love her and like Octavia yeah. Spencer. It, like I said earlier about how awards bait has changed, like Octavia Spencer is known for being in these very prestigious awards movies, gotten, you know, got an Oscar for the help and multiple nominations. But when she did this year, she did Ma, and then she did another sort of a little bit more prestigious, but still sort of B-thriller loose. She's getting the best reviews of her career uh, doing these type of movies. And, uh, and she's great in them. Yeah, and so I, I it, love Ma, yeah. Yeah, like it just, I don't know, like the taste or like the taste makers, what people deem as good or bad or, you know, campy prestige. It's all mixed up now. It's so true. And, and that is, that is nice. It's kind of uh democratizing art. Cause yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with camp? Why yeah. can't that be? I, I mean, of course those are the movies I want to watch. Exactly. So, yeah. And you have, I mean, film history and, and criticism, obviously like being the, the, the domain of straight white men yes. for so long. And like what the, the genres and the tropes that they find artistic are maybe very different from the stuff that, that women or people of color or queer people find, uh, find meaning in. Yes. And what also I love about Joan Crawford's later career is she, she took these genres that were inherently masculine, like Mm. Mildred Pierce is basically a noir. Mm. Uh, Johnny guitar is a Western. Mm. Uh, baby Jane is a, a horror movie. These are all, or were at the time very male dominated genres and she feminized them. Mm. And I don't think got enough credit at the time. And hopefully now she is getting a little bit more credit, but she, yeah, she took these, uh, these masculine genres, flipped them on their head and, and made them women's pictures. Oh, that's, I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. And, and it's such, I'm baby Jane. I mean, what an incredible film for, yeah, for, I mean, it's truly one of the great movies. And for that to ever be seen as like, Oh, what a, what a, clearly a sign of a downward turn yeah. is just so unfortunate. No, and it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, this is a movie. This is a great movie in on any metric. And to, yes. to say it's not is 
misogynistic and homophobic. Yes. I'll say it. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Uh, all right. So before we get into the um, dirty, dirty details of Straight Jacket, let oh, me yes. read a little bit of Paul Rowan's review. Uh, if this is the first episode of High Camp you're listening to, just I'll let you know, I stole the name of my podcast from a duo of gay film guides from the 1990s written by an amateur film historian and professional librarian from Duluth, Minnesota. His name was Paul Rowan, and he wrote reviews of 406 camp movies, including 1964's Straight Jacket. Oh, it would help if I had the right page. Okay. Uh, as a movie, Straight Jacket is no better than adequate. Oof. As myth, however, it's something else again. For homosexuals, this is a remarkably resonant film. Few images could be more iconic than that of Joan Crawford as the ultimate castrating mom, an axe murderess who carries a weapon with, which has a handle that seems to grow longer with each successive reel. Add to this the fact that she's all dolled up in 40s finery, including a shoulder-length hairstyle and a flashy flowered dress. Her mouth is a livid, lipsticked slash. To complete the ensemble, she sports a set of charm bracelets with, which clank and tinkle ominously whenever she's hefting her hatchet. The film gets underway with ingenue lead Diane Baker reminiscing about her childhood. Talk about a primal scene. Diane saw her dad screwing an old girlfriend while mom was out of town. Worse yet, she also saw mom arrive home unexpectedly, catching the pair in flagrante delecto with bloody but predictable results. These inauspicious events are presented to us in flashback. You get to see Joan sashay off the train past a sign which says, watch your step, flick a cigarette butt over her shoulder and brazenly stride off into the night. As the narration puts it, she's very much a woman and very much aware of it. Stumbling upon the adulterous situation at home, she chops off the heads of both fornicators and is consigned to an institution for the criminally insane. The murders, rather rash under any circumstances, seem particularly bizarre owing to the relative chastity of early 60s screen conventions. The illicit lovers are fully clothed and reclining on top of the covers. It goes on, I won't read the rest of it. Uh, but yeah. Mm, yeah. His reviews, it's funny, because some of his reviews are like, he has opinions about things, and then yeah. some seem to just sort of like recount the plot of the movie. Okay, yeah, he's like, yeah. See, I still don't know what he really thought of it but yeah. like we both love this movie right yeah oh yeah. my god totally uh yeah like we said earlier I, I don't i mean i'm not yeah i guess i'm not literate in like film language enough to say oh this is just a mediocre movie but i thought it was great yeah and, and what a stylist too i mean you were saying earlier about about hitchcock versus i mean william castle i me not being very familiar with his other films, I was impressed by, you know, all the flourishes and the, vis you know, the, the lighting and the... Yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, like, noir touches, like, um, yeah. like uh, contrasting lights and, and weird angles. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what happens in the movie. Yeah. So, like, uh, Paul Rowan said, it starts off with a flashback. Um Joan Crawford sees her husband, who was actually played by her real husband at the time, Lee Majors, uh, in bed with his girlfriend. Uh, she murders them both with an axe, doesn't realize her three-year-old daughter is watching. Then we fast forward 20 years. Uh, she is getting out of an insane asylum and goes to live with her now adult daughter and who is living with her, um, Joan Crawford's brother and his wife on like a farm. Yeah, like in, a chicken pig yeah, farm. Yeah, in, I think the um, Inland Empire somewhere because they say they're going to Riverside. Riverside, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then 
so uh, so she goes and something's a little off with her and she you know she comes home and she's sort of dowdy and has gray hair and like a plain dress but then she goes shopping with her daughter yes and she there's a fetching wig in the window <laughs> and some real jangly charm bracelets to prop to buy and yeah and so like she gets uh, this beautiful floral print dress and and the wig um, which is like a uh, recreation of Joan Crawford's hairstyle from the 40s with these like really short bangs and like um, jet black hair and you know she looked gra- she looks great I'll always say she looks great but she's dressing a little young maybe yeah. is what they're implying yes and there's kind of a camp kind of drag quality oh it's like she's God. in drag as herself yeah absolutely and like again like Joan Crawford because she she's so tiny and i guess this is probably mm. true of a lot of movie stars she's so tiny but she has to have like a big head yes. and like big features so i think yes. there's something inherently drag about just the way she looks and then like the makeup and everything i can see you know you see why thousands of drag queens have impersonated her for years oh yeah and and the other thing about that movie and and her performance i mean there's so much humor oh my and, god and i would love to know and there might be in a biography or how much was intentional because it's so funny yeah, I always wonder about that with uh, with horror movies or just sort of thrillers at that time. Like, I, I think we don't give enough credit to the humor of mm. people maybe from that time. We think that they are taking everything super seriously and yeah. that we're imparting like the camp or the humor on it. Yeah. But I can't imagine that that's true. They must have known it was like fun and silly, right? I would hope so. I would think so. Yeah, especially yeah. William Castle, it seems yeah, like with his exactly. body of work that he would, you know, there's, there's so many lines where, the, you know, so Joan has this, checkered past that she committed these murders and people keep committing these faux pas in the movie in front of her and saying things like, oh yeah, we just got to slaughter. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Like, oh, I really got a butcher. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're like uh, making reference to some sort of violence, whether it's on the farm or whatever. And they, and every, and every time like she sees, you know, a knitting needle or a knife or whatever, it's like this, is she going to, is she going to snap? Is she going to go insane? Like you never know. Like the, the depiction of mental illness is, not truthful or uh, it might be a little considered a little problematic now, but it is so funny. And there's like, I've, you know, I've done 14 episodes of this podcast now and I swear to God, at least half of them like have an insane asylum in them. That that is just such a trope of camp. Um, And also like the idea of a crazy lady committing murders and then spoiler alert. uh, It's not her actually committing the murders. So like she, so first um, there is, her doctor from the insane asylum that comes and like checks on her and maybe is going to like drag her back to the insane asylum. And, uh, she murders him. There are also like pigs on this farm. So every time someone is murdered, they get eaten by pigs. Mm. You just see like a shot of the pigs eating them. Then there is a creepy handyman, uh, played by George Kennedy, who I'm going to confess I think he's extremely sexy in this movie. Mm, I see it. Yeah, Do you yeah, see yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Am I not crazy? That, yeah. Well, no. He's got that kind of bear, daddy bear quality. Yeah. That he's I, like tall yeah. and yeah, like yeah, yeah. just like rough looking. You sort of like just want him to choke you or something. Just a little, I get don't a little know. Rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's sort of creepy, and um, so he like finds the body of the doctor and the their the car that they've hidden away, and so then he has to die. Yes. And then we have the daughter who is like this um, 
sculptress. Yes, and uh, she makes a point. She's not a sculptor. She is a sculptress. A sculptor. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Joan it's, Crawford is a murderess. Yeah. And she is yeah. a sculptress. Everything is very gendered in this. I movie. love how they they really they yeah, really like, emphasize it. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> People should talk that way now. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, but so she has this like Twinkie boyfriend who comes from. Um, a dairy farm, which apparently they're like way richer than the chicken farmers. I don't really get why they're like so rich and the chicken yeah. farmers are not rich because they're all farmers. Uh, but yeah, he has these like snobby parents who might not want him to marry um, like a poor daughter, also a daughter whose mom has just been in the asylum for 20 years. Yeah. And the snobby dad is always drinking milk. Yeah. He make like he he's a milk guy a dairy farmer and he loves fucking milk yeah disgusting yeah to drink a glass of milk before you go to bed oh yeah that's gonna curdle and he just keeps that pitcher out that is not refrigerated no well it's like fresh fresh from the cow i guess um but yeah so like they're they live in this like this mansion for some reason and uh they keep wanting to like meet joan crawford and she oh okay i'll go back the first time that joan crawford Lucy is her name in this movie. She meets, um, Carol is the daughter, Carol's boyfriend. She goes insane mm. and she gets so horny. Yes. I've never seen anyone so horny on screen in my life. She's like sticking her fingers in his mouth. She's crazy. She's like, blah, blah, blah. So she's, yeah. she's in like her, her forties finery, like this beautiful floral dress and the wig and everything. And the daughter's like, Oh, Hey, I want you to meet my boyfriend. And she's, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or yes. something. She's about to like sexually assault this young man. Yeah. She's like May West. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so great. I've ne- like, I you're sort of uncomfortable, but then you're like, oh yeah, Joan Crawford is like, she can get like, she knows how to seduce a man. Oh yeah, and like if she was left alone with him for five more seconds, like they would have fucked for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And she's like really catty to her daughter. She's like basically saying like, step aside. Yeah. I'm like I forgot you were even here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's because she's like in the, 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 the finery of her youth that she's yes. like, and so she like switches personalities like between mm. this, this sort of dowdy old mother and then this like femme fatale who's like a little I, grotesque is too strong of a word, but like she's acting younger than a woman of her age should act, I guess, yeah. according to society. Yeah. And yeah, not very refined. Just no, no, no. Yeah, just real. Yeah, because you, you know that she's from the farm. Like they, yes. they say she's from, she's from the earth. Like she's, she's mm, not. Country and girl. Yeah. And like Joan Crawford, I think always played these characters that were like working class women uh, that were trying to like scale up in society. And like sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Mm, so that was a real theme for her. It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so then, yeah, the, the handyman dies. And then finally, like the climactic scene is uh, they finally go meet the, the dairy man's parents in his, uh, in the mansion. And the, they all go like take a look at the cows or whatever. So Joan Crawford is left alone with his parents. And they basically say, oh, you know, we're not going to let your daughter marry our son. Like it's off the table. And Joan Crawford, once again, Goes insane, and it's really the the crown moment of the movie is yeah. that 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 meeting the parenting because first of all there's so much tension yeah because you first of all by this time you know she's insane she's totally crazy and she's gonna meet these snobby parents and the stakes are so high and she just goes off the rails she like yells screams at the top of her yeah. lungs uh <laughs> like then just books it like leaves yeah and then so the parents are left alone and then. I guess they're like going to bed or something. Yeah. And and then you see, you know, what you think is Lucy is Joan Crawford with her ax, uh, murders the dad. And then, um, 
And then there's like a whole bathroom scene that reminded me yeah. of like the shower scene in Psycho a little totally, bit. Totally, totally. And also it's crazy you see what influence probably this and Psycho had on so many later films. Like there's so much like Friday the 13th imagery mm -hmm. of like billowing clothes on a laundry line earlier in the movie that, you know, these like fake out scares that I feel like, I wonder if this movie was kind of a seminal movie uh, or if these were tropes that were already kind of in play, but. Yeah, I don't know. Like I think yeah. the, the, like Psycho in this movie, uh, brought horror to like a more visceral level and like a more violent level than it had been before. And mm. I imagine like Wes Craven and John Carpenter and all these, these horror guys from the eighties mm. saw these movies as kids and were, they had to have been influenced by them. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, so then, yeah, she kills um, the dad and then the mom like sees what she thinks is the dad's head, but then it, it, it's like a statue, but then yeah. she actually sees it's like a little fake out and then she gets axed. Uh, and then is that the part where then you see what you think is Lucy uh, kill these people, but then you see the real Joan Crawford, Lucy, yes. in the exact same outfit, fight the fake Lucy, and it turns out that the murderess was actually uh, Carol, the daughter, in a Joan Crawford mask that uh. she like made from her own sculptressing. Yes, she was sculptressing up a storm <laughs> and made a, a very bizarre, very, very uncanny. Uh... It's very creepy looking. I. For, when I saw her, I didn't realize it was, I thought it was literally the woman, the other older woman that played the aunt. Uh, and I was like, cause it looked like her sort of rubbery yeah, face. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, is that the aunt that's murdering everyone? That doesn't make sense. And then I was like, oh no, it's a mask. And obviously it's Carol, the daughter. Yes. Yeah. But so, so strange. I mean, I'm just surprised that that imagery isn't more iconic in the pop culture. Cause it's so, the, the image of these two dueling Joan Crawfords and one of them with this bizarre mutant. Yeah rubber face mask version of herself is so striking. It's yeah, it's a beautiful, crazy, grotesque image. And then, it, yeah. and then even after that, like after the daughter's caught, you just see Joan Crawford with the mask in her hand, yes. just sort of nonchalantly, just, yeah. uh, like Joan Crawford holding a Joan Crawford mask. You'd think that this would be like memeable or, right. that, I mean, yeah. it's this... probably no one young enough to make a meme has like seen this movie. Right. Exactly. It's a treasure that has yet to be fully embraced. <laughs> exactly. By this generation. Yeah, because what a, what an, I mean, I just, I'm bowled over that, that this imagery wasn't more familiar because it's just so strange. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we, we have to be the ones to, to yes. champion this and to evangelize for straight jacket and hopefully some younger kids will take a look at it and, and make a meme or two. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's there for you guys. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what uh. a joy. Like I, I, I mean, Obviously, Baby Jane, Mildred Pierce, Johnny Guitar, these are classics. I want to say this is up there. Like, oh, yeah. I would watch this movie over and over again. And it's like 93 minutes long. Oh, it's brisk. It just flies by. Yeah, you rent it for $3 on Amazon. Super oh, easy. Yeah. Great value. And yeah, it, and it's so packed. I mean, it's so, I mean, I, I, uh, the, the all the, the the grand horror of the climactic scenes happen in like twenty minutes or less. It's crazy. Yeah, it's almost structured like a play a little bit because the uh. scenes are very long. Like there, there's not that much that happens in it, and it go, yeah. you're, you're right, it goes by so fast. Because I was like, uh, I had just started. I remember like pausing it to get some water or something. And it was like fourteen minutes in, and I restarted it. And then what I thought was just a few minutes later, I need to like go to the bathroom or something. So I paused it again and it was, it was like 50 minutes into it. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, this is just flying by. Yes. Which to its merit. Yeah. yeah it's I, compact. And now I want to see uh, way more William Castle movies. Yes, totally. And apparently uh, there's a, then she, Joan Crawford was another William Castle movie after this one, I guess. Oh, Berserk. 
Is oh, that the one or oh, no? Maybe that one. There's another one called, oh, I think it's called I Know What You Did. It's about a a, a crank call. It sounds so good. <laughs> Teen girl crank callers what? who then accidentally call a serial killer. <gasps> It sounds so good. I have not yet seen oh it. Oh my god! Oh, I saw what you did. Okay, oh, I saw what you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we got to watch all of these. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah, this was really opening the gateway. Uh, yeah, and then I mean, she did Berserk in '67. Guest starred on the Lucy Show. Did a few episodes of some more TV, and then Trog, which oh. that is the one. And I've seen Trog before. That mm. is the one where I do feel a little sad for her. Yeah, and I've only seen clips. I think on oh. YouTube, and it's so puzzling. And I want to know how that was. Yeah, was she very depressed during that? I be, I, I don't know the backstory. I, be, I mean, they shot it in England, and it was like super low budget. And yeah. I think she really needed the money. Uh, and I think that was like when her real alcoholism was uh, developing, and. You can tell, like, the difference between Straight Jacket and Trog. Like, you can tell William Castle really adored Joan Crawford mm. and wanted to show her in a great light. And it seems like the director of Trog was trying to make her look old and feeble and, like, uh, making her into a joke, it seems like. Wow. And I think she was, she had, she'd, like, lost a step by then. So mm. it, it's not a great performance. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad. That is, and that was that her final film? I believe that's her final oh, feature film. Oh, because there was some TV. Yeah, she did. Uh, well, actually, the, her episode of Night Gallery, which is mostly famous for being Steven Spielberg's first directorial oh. credit, that was a year before Trog. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, and then after Trog, she was in a TV movie called Beyond the Water's Edge and. A TV, an episode of a TV series called The Sixth Sense oh. in 1972, and then that's it. Well, and when? And this is also to, just going off my mommy dearest knowledge. When did it happen that she took Christina's place on a on a on a soap opera where oh, yeah. she played her adopted daughter on the soap? Right, right, right. I wonder. That must be yeah, like late 60s or late something, 60s, sort of yeah. around that time. That's. Oh gosh, there's so much. It's such a it's it's such a rich, such a rich text to dip into, and especially from from camp and uh, queer sensibilities. Yeah. Oh my god, I mean, where does one? I mean, just 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 the the the, the contrast between you know when when Joan in Straight Jacket is acting uh, like very girlish and demure, and then just dropping it and becoming this hoarse voiced psychopath. Yeah, she really. There's like guttural yes. screams from from oh. her diaphragm, and you always think of Joan Crawford as as very sort of controlled and put together, and she she really goes for it. I would say even yeah. even more than in like Baby Jane, because mm. ba Baby Jane, Betty Davis gets yeah. to be the true sort of screamer in that movie, mm -hmm. um, and maybe you know maybe she saw that. Betty Davis was getting all the acclaim for Baby That's... Jane, got the Oscar nomination. She didn't get the Oscar nomination. And I mean, I always am like imprinting my own projections onto Joan Crawford. Yeah. Like I have no idea what the fuck this woman was thinking, but to me, she's always, um, she's so in the thrall of her fans and her self-esteem is so dependent on what the outside world thinks of her. Yes. And this is me again. This is what I think. Uh, I'm not sure if it's true, but it seems yeah, like she was, going for it in a way to like keep up with everyone else and and she could do it she uh is so good in straight jacket and makes a ridiculous movie um completely believable it makes you really feel for this woman yeah and she totally ele elevates the source material and it, yeah it's so true that in her you know because she, she gets those hollywood gauzy close-ups throughout the movie when she's really just laying it on that 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 glamour that old hollywood glamour and you know speaking in those cadences of like yes 
hello, you know, and all that, and 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 you do, and and you know, just really batting her eyes at the camera, and you do get that sense that she's. It's for the fans. It, she, it's her her Hollywood uh, persona that she's bringing out and really showcasing. But yeah, and then when she when she uh, there's that great moment when in the meeting the parents scene when she's like when the snobby mom is says so so what kind of sanitarium was this and she says it was an asylum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has got to be one of the greatest moments. Uh, yeah, it was like she. It's just like the weight of the world is off of her shoulder when she finally admits it wasn't a sanatorium; it was an asylum. Yes, and it like it. It is so weird how mental illness. I mean, yes, this woman murdered her husband and his sure. girlfriend, whatever. Okay, but like sure. they deserved it. And that's the other thing. Like you're on her side. But there's no like anti-hero. There's no like oh she's a bad woman. You are rooting for this fucking bitch the entire oh, time. Yeah, everyone who gets it deserves it. Oh yeah, uh, and and her just letting go in that moment and being like, "Yes, it was an asylum." It must have been, I don't know, cathartic because like people didn't talk about that shit then. Like if you had a mental yeah. illness and you, I mean, God forbid, had to be like institutionalized or whatever. Like your family didn't see you, didn't visit at the end when she like her daughter gets oh, institutionalized. Yeah. It's like this very touching thing where she's like, "Yes, I think I'll visit Carol in the asylum," and it's like. That's crazy that that would even be a question to like visit your family. Oh, right, right. You would think that would be a given, but yeah. yeah, But, but especially in this Hollywood movie context, that's, uh, yeah, it was, and also just, yeah, her performance is so raw and so stripped down and, and, and and so unglamorous in, in so many moments that, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, and also maybe a sign of, you know, the, the Hollywood studio system kind of falling apart by the sixties that maybe, or maybe it's that's too soon. Well, this was, I mean, definitely like at the, I mean, the the sort of end of, of the big studio system in the mm. mid-60s because you had, you know, movies like Cleopatra and Dr. Doolittle that were just, that lost uh. millions and millions of dollars. And then this was, yeah, I guess sort of bef- like before New Hollywood really took over. So yeah, the mid-60s is a weird, a weird time for everyone in Hollywood, but especially people in Joan Crawford's generation mm. who had already, I mean, she'd already made the transition, like I said before, 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 hmm. uh, from silent movies to talkies, Mm. you know, transition from ingenue parts to leading ladies to mother. So she's already like done this many times reinventing herself. And then this is sort of like the last act. Uh, And I hope that she in some part of her life was, was proud of this work like in the last decade of her life. Cause it's um, for, for most people now, I think, her later career is this stuff is more famous than, than the stuff she did in the thirties and forties. Really? Isn't that funny? That's, mm. that's had a longer shelf life and just, and, and yeah, it, 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 uh, feels more current now. Yeah. than I'm sure some of the earliest. Yeah. Movies. It's more accessible, I think to yeah. people. Cause people like horror is uh, a trope that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, everyone, everyone knows the beats and every, you can sort of sit anyone down and, and show them a horror movie and they'd have a good time. Yeah. Whereas like, uh, you know, the traditional melodrama or like screwball comedy, that's a little more iffy uh, for a modern audience. They yeah. might not get all the the references or, or know the beats of, of it as much. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, that format still is, yeah, it feels very relevant and timely. And, and also uh, the, the fact that um, in this, in this movie, she is my brain just shut no, off okay. and it happened in real time. It just went, it happens. Yeah. It, you know, it, and it just did. Oh, but you know, well, another great moment is when the Columbia uh, logo at the end of the movie is beheaded. 
Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't yeah. even catch that. That's like a fun Easter egg. Oh my we, god! At, after it fades to black, and then they flash the Columbia logo again. Now the Columbia woman, her head is at her feet. Oh wow! Oh, that is great. Which is so dark and great. Oh, and this is actually what I was thinking mm. is that in terms of it still being timely, is that uh, John Waters so loved William Castle mm. and Serial Mom is so such an homage to this movie. I think absolutely. And in fact, uh, I think there's a scene in Serial Mom where. Straight Jackets on TV. Oh, is it? Okay. I'm pretty sure. And which, if that's true, that even all the more. That makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I, I think that's actually like the first time I ever sort of heard the name William Castle was through John Waters talking mm. about what an influence he is. And it is interesting because like, I guess they were, you know, they're a generation apart, but John Waters made his first movies just like uh, four or five years after Straight Jacket came out. So it's not a long, it's not like, yeah. it seems like th this movie seems like a lot older than um, than like Pink Flamingos or Female, Female Trouble, but it's less than a decade. That is so odd. It's so odd to put that in the timeline yeah. and realize how close those. Culture yeah. was changing yeah. so fast in the late yeah. 60s, early 70s in, in a way that we can't really even imagine now, I think. The, yeah. the way that culture was changing during that that's time period. So that's so true and so fascinating. And also, I do love that it is like a SoCal. This movie is a SoCal totally. movie with the Riverside and the yeah, Inland yeah. Empire. And I think like the when they go to the the store at the beginning, oh, it yeah. seems like that was shot in Pasadena. It looks oh. very much, but maybe all those I consider Pasadena the Inland Empire. Honestly, honestly yeah. anything east of the five is the Inland Empire. Okay, yeah, hey, it's we all are, in that, yeah, yeah. that, in that space. It's like disgusting desert towns, no offense to Pasadena, but it's too uh, yeah. fucking hot there. It's, it's very hot. You know? Yeah, you're just, uh, just yeah, sweltering in that. Uh, but yeah, I like I like the SoCalness of this because you don't you don't think of Southern California coming like as an outsider. You don't think of agriculture and farming yeah. as being a Californian thing, but it totally is. Like you get you know 20, 20 miles from the beach and it's it's farm country. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do like I like that inland empire setting a lot. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Side note. Mm. I uh, the fact that the daughter is supposedly three years old when the movie starts. Clearly, that was like an, a ten year old. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That is or eight. Definitely a, like a tween. Yeah. 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 And when I yeah when I read like the synopsis on Wikipedia, she was supposed to be three. Yeah. And they even mention it later in the movie, like, and she was only three when she witnessed. Totally, because it was weird. Think, because the the girl, the the Carol, as an adult, does seem like in her early twenties. Yeah, and I I thought when I didn't realize she was supposed to be three, I thought, oh, that's interesting that she's like thirty. Because yeah. they say that the mom's been away for twenty uh, years. I was like, oh, it's it's sort yeah, of weird oh, yeah. to have a a thirty year old unmarried daughter, but then she's supposed to be three at the beginning, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, the the the, the yeah age, yeah, does not yeah it, right yeah. For their timeline, she had to be three, but they, yeah, they just did not cast a three-year-old. No, definitely That's not. Sure. I guess three-year-olds are hard to control on set. Oh, sure. And I guess to witness a, a murder beheading, oh, yeah. it might be traumatizing. But, uh, but yeah, well, it's so it's so funny, too, the, the way this movie um, is so part of that, the way um, uh, Freudian psychology was really entering pop culture around that time. And, and I feel like you see it in so many, you know, movies and and books and tv shows and and it's but it's pop psychology so it's this very pop understanding of freud which is great yeah and, and it's like so i mean i uh spellbound the the oh, yes. hitchcock movie from the 40s i think was one of the first ones to like go into like hypno hypnosis and psychoanalysis uh and then when when joan crawford in straight jacket talks about like i told my therapist yes. and it's like oh, she has a therapist oh my goodness yes. and it is like yeah it's taking this thing that was shunted off to the side or thought of as i don't know improper or embarrassing and and putting it 
in your face uh, in, in a way that now like you're crazy if you don't have a therapist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That is a, that is a norm yeah. in society. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stigmatized. Wow. Uh, this was such a good conversation. Oh, I loved uh, it. Yeah. Guys, if you haven't watched Straight Jacket, and I probably say this almost every week, like, but this one especially, go see this fucking movie. It's yes. so fun. Um, so Michael, yes. if we were to write a third volume of High Camp, uh, what would be a movie you would nominate to add to the Camp Canon? Oh my gosh. Okay, I think front runner has got to be uh, the. Early aughts horror movie Valentine. Ooh, I don't know that one. Oh my gosh, with Denise Richards. <gasps> okay. So it's all the pure trash, but high camp glory. Oh my god. So yeah, it's a serial killer slasher, and and you know it had one of those scream style movie posters with all the heads of all the ingenues all in a row, how they like to do in those kind of early yeah. aughts movies, and um, the killer has like a cupid mask, and on he's sending valentines to all the victims. And murdering them one by one. And David Boreans is in it. Ooh. So it's a real, casting-wise, oh, it's a real time capsule. Of yeah, now this is jogging my memory. I think, like, oh, I remember, because yeah. that that was the sort of turn of the millennium was definitely, like, another high, like, post-scream yes. for, I know, what you did last summer, and, um, oh, God, Jawbreaker was another yes. one of my favorites. These sort of, like, yeah. like, trashy, sexy teen horror movies. But I don't remember that I ever watched Valentine, so I have to. And I love Denise Richards; she's like a total queen. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. and great scream queen. And this one, and it, I think this is one of the ones that did fly a little more under the radar because it's trash. It's <laughs> tra- but but now that's why we love it now. And oh my gosh, just very, very silly. But but there's a memorable, uh, there's a jacuzzi Ooh. scene that that's 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 my one tip off, yeah. my hot tip. And this must be this is post Wild Things probably. Post Wild Things. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I yeah. love like Denise Richards also cuz there was a lot of like teen teen stars in the late 90s that were a little wholesome. Yeah. And then I think because I mean because Denise Richards is so sexy but also she was quite a bit older than like your Jennifer Love Hewitts or whatever. Yeah. She was already like around 30 by the time that she started getting these parts. So I think there was um, a little bit of a hardness to her Mm. that allowed her to be uh, more sexualized Mm. than, than the, the younger ingenues that it would be a little exploitative if, I don't know if, uh, Nev Campbell or, or Reese Witherspoon or something, one of those were like super sexualized. Denise Richards, they're the, there was a womanliness to her already. That's totally as yeah, she knew her body. Yeah, she yeah, knew yeah. how to, how she liked to use it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow, Valentine from the early aughts. What an addition to the canon! Can't wait to see it. Ah, oh. uh, thank you, Michael Lucid, so much for being here. Oh. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh my gosh, uh, I guess uh, come on by my Instagram. Yes, because I like those Insta. Those little. Uh, I'm at, I use my, my drag persona's Instagram handle, Damiana Garcia. Cool. So visit at Damiana Garcia yes. <laughs> on Instagram. And there she'll be. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Definitely come visit me on Instagram and Twitter at High Camp Pod or at Ruckerbry, R-U-C-K-E-R-B-R-Y. Please, if you like the podcast, go on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, write a uh, nice review. It helps more faggots like you yes i said it find the podcast i might cut that out i can say whatever yeah um all right michael thank you so much again for being here oh thank you so much i had a ball and a blast oh, i'm so glad and thank you guys for listening i will talk to you next week bye